Well, good morning, everybody, and thank you for braving the cold. Somehow the cold got into my bones a little bit this morning. Uh, normally I have warm hands, and I always tell my wife it's because I have a warm heart. Uh, she has cold hands, but that means nothing. Um, so as Ben mentioned, we're going to continue our series in Exodus today, and we are going to talk about building God's dwelling place. And as we approach this topic, I want us just to take note and to pause that we are talking here about something that is very close to the heart of God. There's many things that are close to God's heart, but this idea that he wants to be our God, he wants us to be his people, and he wants to dwell with us is very close to the heart of God. It's repeated a number of times through the scriptures. It starts in Genesis where God walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. It's something in the heart of God delights to be with us. We see that God wants to be with his people Israel, as we'll read now in Exodus. We go through the prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all the way until God himself comes in Jesus Christ to be with us, to tabernacle is one of the words that's used in the Bible for that, to be with us. So this is close to the heart of God, that he wants to dwell with us. Now, as I share on this topic this morning, there's many levels of application. You can apply it to the nation of Israel. You can apply it to what we call the universal church, the church all over the world, the church of all ages. You could apply it, for example, to this local church where we've accepted members in today. But as I was preparing, and I think it was confirmed sufficiently during the time of worship, I really thought to invite you to apply this to yourself today. You can listen with one ear for other levels of application, but this morning, I think the Lord's eyes are on us as individuals. I will probably talk a little bit broader than that, but if you can listen for yourself. So, as we continue in our journey through Exodus, remember the main idea that we're sharing around the book of Exodus is that God is raising up a people that he can live among. And so he calls them out of slavery, he delivers them, he creates laws and structures for them so that they can learn his values and his heart. But as we kind of come to the pinnacle in the book of Exodus, to like a high point in the narrative, in the story, we find this account, uh, and it's in your reading for this week. If you got one of these cards as you came in, if you're watching online, it's on our social media platforms. But as we come to this point of Exodus chapter 35 to Exodus chapter 31, we start reading about the building of the tabernacle, the place where God would dwell in the midst of his people. So God is raising up a people to live among them so that, there's always a purpose to it, they can become a blessing to all the nations of the earth. That is God's purpose and plan. Now, we don't have time this morning. We could probably spend a couple of months unpacking, you know, the symbolism and the, the detail in the tabernacle because God is very specific in the instructions he gives around the tabernacle. You'll see it as you read these chapters this week. And part of that is because the tabernacle is what we call a type. A type is that it, simply theologically, it means that it points to something that's going to come later. Usually always about Jesus. Okay, so a type points to something that's going to come later. So as we read about the tabernacle, it points to the temple that Solomon would build. It points to that Jesus would come and live with us. But it also points to the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God comes and lives in us. So this revelation unfolds of God's plan to have a dwelling place with us as we look at it. And so there's lots of details in the tabernacle. We're going to really just look at probably about three sections this morning just that relate to that. And so, again, remember, you can listen to this corporately. Uh, ben read the scripture earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, where it says that God's calling us. Uh, let me read it. Ephesians 2, 22, it should come up on the screens for you. 
It says, and in him, in Jesus, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now there Paul's talking about the church as a body. The you there in the English is plural. You are built, being called together, to be built into a body that God can live by his spirit. But it's also very clear in Scripture, through the Old Testament and New Testament, that particularly post-Pentecost, where we live now, that God also lives in us individually. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, this won't come up on the screen, so I see some people are taking notes. Thank you, well done. You get to heaven first. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verse 19 where actually Paul's addressing uh, bad lifestyles in the church in Corinth. And he, one of his points that he concludes with is you need to remember that you as an individual, you as an individual believer are also a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so there's this idea that God lives with us corporately, but also very personally and very clearly, uh, very personally and very intimately as well. Now, when I talk about God dwelling with us, in a room this size, I can anticipate that there'll be a number of perspectives, a number of associations when we talk about God dwelling with us and the presence of God. And I won't be able to cover them all, but maybe let me try and just allude to, to two. Some of you, when you hear God dwelling with us, you'll think of it quite uh, spiritually. You'll think about it as being the presence of God. You might associate that with supernatural encounters with God, mystical, where you meet with God, perhaps and I'm sure for some of you this morning, and as it's true for me, as I was worshiping, I had a sense of God's presence. There's this mystical, supernatural part of this idea of God dwelling with us because it is the God of the universe that makes himself present with us, that comes to live with us and to dwell with us. He presences himself with us. We might associate that with miracles. Now, you might limit that to just this space. This is what happens on Sundays. But I know that some of you are trusting for God's supernatural presence in your front lines, in your workplaces. Your front line is that place where God has put you to represent him, to be Jesus in that place. And so some of you are trusting for the supernatural beyond a gathering on a Sunday as well. But perhaps that's what, what you've thought when you think that's what comes to mind first. Perhaps you've got a different view. Perhaps you think incredibly practically. Well, if God is with me, that's about justice. It's about feeding the poor. It's about making him known where he wouldn't be known. And I so want to, and probably you, you could be anywhere in between and even further down any kind of spectrum in that regard. But I want to encourage you this morning to hold it as a both end. When Debbie started the service this morning, she spoke about the spirit and the word. It's not an either or, it's a both end. Uh, God confronted me on this a couple of years ago in the, in the home I grew up in. We, went, we were probably middle class, we did quite well. But we didn't have in our home at least the options of you can have this and that. Uh, one of my dad's favorite saying is you can have your cake, but you can't eat it. Or sometimes you have to choose to eat your cake. <laughs> I didn't appreciate the saying, but it got deeply into my heart in that I lived in an either-or world for many years. I can either have this or that. Now, that's a great topic on resources and finances, which I'm not talking about this morning, but make notes. But God one day spoke to me and he said, you can have your cake and eat it. He was addressing something personal in me. And what happened in my mind is I realized I had a paradigm that I lived in a very binary world. I lived in a world that was very either or. Now, there are some things that are either or. We heard about some of them last week as Pastor Louis shared so brilliantly and eloquently on the laws. They are. Obey the law, don't. Follow God's ways or don't. That is a bit of an either or. But I think sometimes we also need to have the grace and dare say the humility to live in a both and world where 
It's both the spirit and the word. It's both the supernatural and the miracles here, there, and everywhere. But it's also really practical, like raising kids God's way. It's of course we do here. I picked it. Okay. Or it's very practical, like doing, making good work, working with excellence. There's a beauty to a balanced budget, so I'm told. Okay. Maybe it's, but let's live more and more in a both and world rather than a either or world. We're going to look at two passages in the book of Exodus today. Just to highlight some of the larger principles around building the tabernacle. As I mentioned earlier, we can't get into the details. But let's turn to Exodus chapter 25. And we're going to read the first seven verses there together. Exodus 25, from verse 1 to verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, they've now finished at Mount Sinai, they've got the law. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold and silver and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen and goat hair. Not sure why, but, okay, ramskins, dyed red, and other types of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for light, spices for anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastplate. And so there's this command, this invitation that actually comes from God, it says, I want to Moses to collect an offering for the building of the tabernacle. We want to highlight two principles out of this passage. Firstly, when God builds a dwelling, it's built by free choice. When God builds a dwelling, it's built by free choice. He asked the Israelites, in everyone whose heart is it, in whose heart it is to give, let them give. Now remember where the Israelites had come from. They came out of slavery, but some of them, as slavery worked in the ancient world, were not just, let's call it manual labor. They were skilled laborers, even though they were slaves. But no matter where they they came from, in their history, they had been in forced labor. They'd been in servitude. They'd been required. They'd probably built monuments and temples in Egypt, maybe a pyramid or two. Depends what you believe about the pyramids. Okay. But they had skill. They had built They knew how, but it was always forced on them. And God comes and he wants to change the minds, the paradigm, the hearts of the people. And he says, only if it's in your heart, give towards building the tabernacle. There has to be a freedom of choice. This is true for us too. If our lives want to become a place where God can dwell, where God is welcome, we have to freely choose that. Trust me, it doesn't happen automatically. Your whole heart needs to be involved that's the invitation from God. Because when you respond voluntary, it's a love response. And God wants the love response from the Israelites. God is not looking for slaves and servants. He's looking for sons and daughters. And as that was true for the Israelites, it's true for us today. God is not looking for slaves and servants. He's looking for sons and daughters. He wants our hearts to respond freely to the places he wants to presence himself, to the dwellings that he wants to build. And so we respond in love to God. Second thing we also see in this passage is that building God's dwelling can be costly. Building God's dwelling can be costly. It's interesting as I read this passage that I noted that God's quite specific about what he wants. He wants silver, gold, copper. He wants expensive material, not cheap stuff. Okay. He wants precious stones. He wants gems. He's very specific because those are the things he needs to achieve his purpose. If you had a very expensive orange cloth, God wasn't interested this time. That's for another day. God's very specific, and the things he wanted were the best. 
because they were going to build a place where he would dwell. They were fit for purpose. I think that's the very important phrase. And so sometimes God calls us to become a place where he can dwell, us to become people who can be agents of his kingdom, who can bring order and beauty and excellence into places, but he will ask us to give what is fit for purpose, what is necessary at that time. It's also interesting, and we'll read a bit more about it in the next passage, but there's also this idea that we co-labor with God. As we give, God does things and we work. It's important to understand this. God did not need this offering. This is the creator of the universe. He could have snapped his fingers. No, probably not even. He could have just said, let there be. And in the middle of the Israelite camp, there would have been a tabernacle. If he had said it, it would have been so because he's God. He didn't need in himself the offering. He wanted the Israelites to participate in what he was doing. He wanted the Israelites to participate in his plans. So when God wants to build a dwelling place, we need to participate freely. We build voluntarily. But when God also wants to build a dwelling place, it might be costly. It might come with some obligations. It might require that I sacrifice this time to do what God wants me to do. That I give up this dream or ambition to follow what God wants. Whatever it may be that God may say, because you see, you can live your life and this might be completely normal, fine and acceptable. But God's got an agenda where you are, in your workplace, on your front line. God's got a plan. And he says to you, I want you to do that, which means you might need to pause this, stop it, surrender it, put it on the altar, whatever he says, so that you can participate in what God is doing. And so we co-labor with God in this sense. God wants to build a dwelling place in you and through you, just like he did with the nation of Israel. And so at Hatfield, we use language like gathered and scattered. Gathered, we mean, for example, like when we come together here on a Sunday. We gather together. We want God's dwelling here. Corporately, we experience his presence. In corporate worship, I think we get to experience God in ways that we probably can't in many other spaces and places. There's something that happens when the people of God come together and abandon their hearts to him. So there is this idea of God dwelling with us when we gathered it doesn't only have to be here in this building, in this sanctuary. It can be in your life group, in your community group, in any small group, any men's meeting or women's meeting, your prayer meeting at work. God can present himself there when the believers gather. But at Hatfield, we also talk about the church scattered, meaning when we leave here on a Sunday, where we are Monday to Saturday and the rest of Sunday, where we are in those spaces, on our front lines. It's a both and gathered and scattered, God wants to build a dwelling place for himself. Second scripture we're going to look at this morning is in Exodus chapter 31. And if you can turn in your Bibles and devices there, it will come up on the screen as well. We're looking at some of the values and the principles that God lays down kind of as a backdrop to building the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 31 from verse 1 to 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, from the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahishamak, 
I've always taught my preaching students, if you say it with confidence, it must be right. Okay. I have no idea what that sounds like in ancient Hebrew. But he's the son of somebody. He's from the tribe of Dan to help Bezalel. And I've also given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. And so when we build God's temple, God's, sorry, God's dwelling, God's dwelling is built with skill. God takes skilled people and he anoints them. Now, I don't know exactly why he chose Bezalel and Aholiab and the other skilled workers. It might be from when they worked in Egypt, they developed some skills. Or maybe they had none. But when the Spirit of God comes on them, because here God's going to anoint them, His Holy Spirit is going to come on them, and they're gonna, whatever skill they had is going to go to the next level. Because they're building something for God's dwelling. And so He anoints the skilled, and sometimes He skills the anointed, whichever way you want to take the passage. But the thing here is that when we build God's temple, He empowers us by His Spirit. Bezalel, Aholiab, I'm going to keep getting it. And the skilled workers, God comes and he fills them with his spirit. Not exactly the same as we get filled with the spirit under Pentecost. They're filled and commissioned and empowered, sorry, for a task specific. It wasn't an indwelling sense of the spirit. But God's dwelling is built with skill. Please note that God anointed them with wisdom. That's practical truth, practical knowledge, knowing what to do when. He anointed them with understanding how to build something they'd probably not seen so much before. He gave them knowledge, and he gave them, well, if we look at the examples used, they had an ability to work with their hands. And so everything they would need for the task, God equips them for. He empowers them for. I also noted with interest that as God anoints Bezalel, he anoints, he builds a team. He gives Bezalel a support, a holyab, and then he says he also anoints all the other skilled workers. So sometimes when God wants to do something, he starts by empowering a team. It's what Ben mentioned earlier. You, the Christian life was never intended for lone rangers to be built alone. It's together that we encourage one another and spur one another on to love and good deeds is the language in the New Testament in that regard. This makes me think of, if you remember, we did a series towards the end of last year. It was called Fruitfulness on the Front Lines. I think I've got it right. And we went through six M's that help us understand what it looks like to live for God and work for God on our front lines. One of those M's was make good work. When we want to represent Jesus on our front lines, whether it's with your children. And remember, when we talk about work, we don't mean employment. It's working with your children, if you haven't realized that. It takes work to raise them. When you're working at school, when you're working in the shopping center, wherever you are doing your work, and maybe at the job that you're employed to do, there's an anointing from God that is available to you in that space. We we're called to make good work. There's a saying, uh, I try to find it, who's it attributed to. If you Google it, everybody uses it and nobody knows who started it. Okay. The saying is this, it says, excellence honors God and inspires people. Excellence honors God and inspires people. And I think that's part of what happens here, why God empowers the skilled workers. Why God works by his spirit in this way is that he, the tabernacle was excellence. Now, excellence is not perfection. Excellence is doing the best you can do with whatever talents, gifts, skills, and abilities you have in the time. They built this tabernacle. It was beautiful. The attention to detail, as you read in those chapters, is significantly impressive. But they're anointed to do that. He skills them 
to do that. They worked with excellence. If you had to compare the tabernacle, which was a fancy tent, to the Temple Solomon built, the Temple Solomon built was probably better. It had gold on the walls, gold wallpaper, but real gold and stuff. Okay, It was different. But excellence was, at this time in the desert, doing the best that God had called them to do, to make the best work that they could possibly do. And the people join in, and they get inspired when they see the art and the beauty that God is building. And so there's some places where God is calling you to make good work, to show his excellence, to show him off to the world. Maybe it's as you're raising your children that there's excellence there, doing the best you can do with those little suckers. Okay. I know your children are perfect. So is mine. Okay. But it's excellence. We're doing the best we can do. We're trusting God for his anointing. If you're battling with a child, they're battling at school. Trust God for an anointing of wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and skill. Trust God for the supernatural, that their hearts can turn if that's what needs to happen. Trust God, both end in this place. Whether that's with a friend in our workplace, wherever it is, your job, at school, God wants you to make good work and to show excellence. Our challenge is that sometimes we fear being excellent because we'll be corrected. Sometimes we fear excellence because we give our best that we could, the best that God helped us to give, but then someone comes and tells us, ah, not good enough, didn't like the formatting, or is that the best you can pray, best you can preach, on a day's notice, yes, okay. What we have to understand is that we are the beloved, there's a great quote from Henry Nouwen, which I'd like to read to you, and then we're going to wrap up this morning. He said, Henry Nouwen says, it should come up on the screens for you. If you know that you are the beloved of God, you can live with an enormous amount of success. And we all say, amen. And an enormous amount of failure, amen. Without losing your identity, because your identity is that you are the beloved. Your identity is not in your excellence. Your identity is not in your performance review or in your grade report or in what your family and friends tell you. Your identity is that you are beloved of God. And he invites you and me to build a dwelling for him. In ourselves personally, in the spaces where we find ourselves this time tomorrow, but also when we gather, especially, I think, when we scatter. And so I wonder what you are facing on your front line. Again, that place where God has put you to extend his kingdom, to be Jesus in that place. And again, that could be, maybe it's here, you're battling to worship and that's your front line and you need to figure out how God wants you to break through there. Maybe it's raising the children. Maybe it's that project at work that just cannot get solved. Do you believe that God is interested in that? He wants to anoint you, give you wisdom and understanding to how to solve that and put it together. And you'll use your skill and maybe he'll just take your skill to another level and you'll go, who's this? When you're standing up talking or you're figuring it out. God can anoint you to go above and beyond. The scripture won't come on the screen. It's one of my favorite scriptures. It's in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. There's a promise that God gives. The Israelites are experiencing turmoil. God's told them it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And then God gives this promise. He says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I doubt we'll fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God 
by meeting here once on a Sunday. It says, I go. And when I'm at the checkout counter at the shops, it says, you go wherever you are on your front line. It's when you're at home with your family and children that the earth can be filled because we go everywhere. Everybody's not going to come here because only a thousand can come. Okay. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. As we go and we become his dwelling places in those places he's put us to be. So what challenge are you facing on your front line? I want us to stand and we're going to pray and trust God for an anointing to break through there. That anointing may be supernatural. That anointing maybe he's going to tell you to go and read something or study something. <laughs> I said to the Lord once, I want to know more about leadership. So he made me do a degree. Because that's what he said to do. And then I trusted him for an anointing on that skill that I learned. So let's pray. You hold your front line. That, and it doesn't have to be one thing. It can be many things because seldom in our lives are that simple that it's just one thing. Hold that before the Lord. Put your heart before the Lord this morning and let's pray. Holy Spirit, just as you came and you filled the workmen in ancient Israel, you enhanced their skill. You gave them skill where they needed. You took them to the next level. You know each one's heart here this morning. You know each one's challenge. You know what they are facing. And so we want to open our hearts to you and say, come Holy Spirit, give us the anointing that can break through. Give us the supernatural power if that's what we need. Give us wisdom and understanding and knowledge and skill. Empower us for the journeys we may need to walk. Empower us to be humble when miracles happen so that we can be men and women who are proved workmen of God, that we can be a people who value your presence, a people who treasure your heart, a people who know what it means when you says, I will be their God and they will be my people and I will dwell with them. So thank you, Jesus, that you promised that you will never leave us or forsake us. We are never alone. And so as each one here this morning, those listening and watching online, as we go to our scattered places, won't you go with us? Thank you that you're already doing something there. You're already working there. Help us to cooperate with what you're doing and then empower us to go to the next level for the sake of your kingdom. Help us to make good work. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.